Hello, everybody. Welcome to Attack of the 50 Foot Podcast, unless you've been here before, and then welcome uh, to Attack of the 50 Foot Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk about our favorite bad movies, from old movies to new movies to somewhere in between. This is one of the best intros. Uh, We today watched a film (laughs) by the name of 10,000 BC. By a little by, by a little man named Roland Emmerich, you may have heard of him. He directed Independence Day, uh, Independence Day Two, which was kind of a resurgence thing. Uh, oh. <laughs> he directed 2012, uh, which we should do on this podcast. We, we should, should do it for episode twelve. We should do it for yeah. episode twelve. Uh, but yeah, but t- today we're going over his not as well known movie. I feel like uh, Ten Thousand BC. It kind of slipped underneath the radar when it first came out. I don't know when it came out. I think it's two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, and it is about a lot. It's about bad <laughs> history. Yeah, it's it's about a lot. But anyway, you didn't introduce yourself. That's Cameron that won't stop talking. I'm Allie, and, and I'm Roland. Roland. Roland? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's got an R-O. I'm loosening up the... Deal the director's name. Yeah. I'm here to answer for his crimes. Great. We'll Finally crucify you will. instead. I still think he should direct a movie with Michael Bay. I think oh, they God. should co-direct a film. Because then I feel like one of them at some point is going to try and one-up the other, and they're going to blow up the other person's explosion. Like, I feel like that's the only point you can really get to is where mm-hmm. one explosion goes off and then you have like, a, I digress. But okay. anyway, so this movie, uh, the protagonist is named Delay, um, D apostrophe L-E-H, which is held backwards, which is German for hero. Yeah. Um, because Roland Emmerich is a very clever boy. Yeah. Uh, and for those of you who are fans of The Expanse, it's played by Stephen Strait, who plays uh, James Holden on that show and does a very good job. So thankfully, this didn't kill his career. Yeah. And also, might I point out that he's Italian, uh, playing a, <laughs> a Neanderthal from apparently ancient Russia. Yeah, so we start out, and this is something we had to look up beforehand, but we start out in the Ural Mountains, which are like the mountains that kind of split Russia from Europe. Um, Either of which existed at the time. Yes, they they had not been invented yet by Christopher Columbus. Correct. Um, (laughs) So as the title suggests, this is supposed to take place in 10,000 BC. So roughly 12,000 years ago. Um, but none of the timelines match up. Uh, one of the first things that we see are like people riding horses, which didn't happen until like 4,000 BC. Um, can I also say, woolly mammoths only existed in the Americas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just looked it up. Yeah. I brought that up when we were watching it. Yeah. They, and, um, and- there's no evidence. There's a saber-toothed tiger in the movie, but the tiger's hanging out in, like, a desert area, which I don't really... The yeah. type of saber-toothed tiger that uh, that they've used in the movie, too, the specific uh, type, was also not found anywhere near those continents. There's no fossil yeah. record of it there. So, 
that's just the beginning. We're not even into the film, yes. guys. You're already tearing it apart. And there was a similar saber-toothed predator, but it was not really a cat. No, I looked it up. It's the specific type of saber-toothed tiger that they decided to go with is yeah. the is the one that was not found on those contacts yeah. for some reason. Yeah, and it's called like a Smilodon or something. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense. None, none of this makes any sense already. And then I guess just to bring up one interesting point, because it's something that you need to know kind of going into this, uh, you you have what are essentially, I think they're supposed to be Neanderthals, right? In theory, mm-hmm. they're supposed to be Neanderthals. There's a whole bunch of different types of tribe. This is one of the most diverse films in terms <laughs> of casting, right? However, it's so diverse that you don't know what is going on. Like, you don't know where anybody's supposed to be from. And my problem with it is that with all of the diversity, the main two characters are still the white people. Yes. It's... So we, get, I, we open with a narration about, like, the blue-eyed child and the legend of the blue-eyed child. And I immediately wrote down, so, like, the Neanderthals are just, like, they discovered white people and are just super psyched about it. I guess so. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I made the joke, too, that, like, it seems like this tribe is just made up of people who are just of vague heritage. People who are like a mixture of a lot of things. So they have relatively tan skin. And if you, I guess if you put some dread falls on them, they're immediately Neanderthals. And those dreads looked awful. They My looked friend so when we dumb. were watching it pointed out they looked like those Rastafarian like wig joke hats. Yeah. yeah. Just without like the, the hat part. <laughs> it looks so awful. And also the hairline isn't even like well done you can like see it pulling sometimes yeah like it's ridiculously heavy but yeah anyway um all right so we got we got the blue-eyed child and this is yeah. where it's really strange i think because we get that whole narrative and they're all children right and then all of a sudden they're not but i didn't think it was very clear that they had all grown up Yes, or who the various people had grown up into. Yeah, Because you exactly. see a brief little scuffle between two characters. One of them turns out to be the hero, the other his rival. But it's not at all clear which is which until... Yes. Yeah. They don't give anybody, like, any... Uh, what do you call it? Like, defining characteristics. Yeah. Like, everyone has the exact same hair and the exact same outfit and the exact same amount of dirt on their face. I mean it's impossible. <laughs> yeah. The only way we know that like the hero is the good, like the good guy is because he's the one being bullied because his dad was a coward or something. Yeah. And he left the tribe. I would like to say that they firmly don't actually cement him as being the hero until later in the film though, because they do talk about how he like lies later and stuff like that. They actually originally make him out to be like kind of not a hero. And then they do the, Robert, you, you may have heard of this. It's a common film thing. It's a common writing thing. Uh, Save the Cat. Mm-hmm. They do a direct, a direct Save the Cat. Oh my God. He actually does Save a Cat. <laughs> he actually, <laughs> and, and in narrative uh, forms, oftentimes a rebirth of a character comes with water. It's raining while he does that. Oh, we yeah. can talk about the scene later, but it's like a, it's the most on the nose you can go. 
it's without the director showing up on screen and explaining it to you. Like it's it's bad. Yeah. So all these characters that are now suddenly adults are shown hunting a massive army of woolly mammoths. Yeah, which they like, for no reason call manix. Like we're using all other English words. Why does that one get a special? Yeah. I hate that like that cliche in films when you use random words from whatever society you're trying to be, but then most of it is English. Just choose one or the other. Yeah. It drives me insane. Like, well, I can buy that. Uh, like, I'm not going to be speaking Neanderthal. I don't think anybody does. So just speak English and keep it all the same. Like, except for the proper nouns. Like, I get the tribe's name is like Yagal or Yagral. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, like, um, defining names, that's something different, but, like, I mean, the rest of it can just be spoken normally, because we're supposed to yeah. assume they're speaking their own language. That's the whole point, but it it makes it to where they're obviously not speaking their own language if every now and then they throw in random bits of their own words. That's what takes you out of that, which doesn't make any sense. It's yeah. weird. But, yeah, so, they're hunting anyway, mammoths. Yes, um, they're hunting mammoths and... Um, they find a young girl with blue eyes. That's the child with blue eyes we were talking about that the legend is about. And the, um, the matriarch of the clan uh, has some kind of weird vision that like, oh, she came from a village that was destroyed by four-legged demons. And we see, like, it's not even a, like a subtle thing. We just immediately see people riding horses, which again, they won't be domesticated for another 6,000 years. Um, and she goes further, the uh, old mother goes further to say that they're going to attack us on the day of our last hunt, um, which I was trying to parse out. And I was like, is that the, does she mean the last hunt of the season? Or does it mean because of the attack, we're not going to have any more hunts, which would be the case because you got captured and killed. Yeah. I don't get it. But anyway, she sets up this whole prophecy that one day on the last hunt, a warrior will rise and do something great, and he will be, like, he basically gets given the blue-eyed girl as his wife for yeah. doing whatever it is. And also this, like, ginormous, ridiculous-looking bone spear. Oh, God. <laughs> a bone spear that, ha like, it's a white spear, which I get, but, like, over it, there's some kind of, like, the rib cage of a large animal, but the spine has also been sharpened to a point. Yeah. So it's a but double like, spear. If you if you watch when they use it, they take that top part off and then use it as a spear. So but like sometimes they do stab people with the big thing on the end. It was so it like it seemed like a ceremonial protective thing, which I would get, but they also use the protective thing as a weapon. What the fuck? Okay. Yeah. Um so I guess the whole thing here is the tribe was run by somebody who killed a mammoth single-handedly, which is where the white spear came from. So that's, I guess, what happens at the end of this mammoth hunt thing, right? Is, yeah. Uh, is the main character, what's his name? Delay. Um, he's the one that ends up killing the mammoth on his own, right? But in reality, he's just about to get fucking trampled. Doesn't, because like Cam always says, because the screenwriter saved him. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yep. like, gets his spear stuck in a rock. 
And the mammoth just runs into and it. And then, yeah. I have massive problems with this whole scene because, so there's a very long, we're skipping a very long chase scene that we don't need to go into. They chase the mammoths forever, it feels like. Yeah. It's just too long. They trap one in a net and then it pulls them because what, do you, what did you expect? It's not like, it's not a fucking pony. But yeah. they, and then he, so. Delay fights the mammoth with the spear two times in this short scene that he's fighting it. Uh, he stabs it once and it doesn't do anything because he's a very small man trying to impale a very large, thick animal. And it doesn't do anything. But then all of a sudden, this spear becomes like, it, it, I feel like it's just made out of pure steel because it becomes trapped in the rock and then the mammoth puts its full weight on it, full force, and it doesn't break. Instead, it impales... Oh and kills this thing. Yep. And that's, it's a huge problem with this whole scene. Also, real quick, just want to bring up, uh, I don't know what sound a mammoth made back, I don't know I don't know what they made, but I will say they probably didn't sound like Zoidberg, and in this film, <laughs> they sound like screaming Zoidberg. So, <laughs> but it's, the, the sound effects in this are terrible, and it starts with the mammoths. Mm-hmm. They're really bad. But yeah, he he does kill the mammoth, though. Yes, he does, um, which earns him the respect of the tribe, including his rival, who I don't think we have mentioned yet is named Karen, but it is spelled Karen, uh, which just tickled me to death. Um, Karen. Everyone is like, like, wow, you're the the uh, the hero of legend. This was the hunt. You took it down single-handedly. You're the best. Um, and this was actually the one part I did like in the movie because they go back and they're celebrating and it's like, all right, you're going to marry the woman you love now. Also, you get the white spear. You're basically our leader. But um, he, uh, the, our hero tells his mentor, whose name is Tick Tick, yeah. uh, which was great, that okay. like, basically I didn't kill it. It just sort of happened by accident. And I like the, the, the very brief little quandary that happens where he's like, no, I need to be... Uh, I need to be honest. I need, like, I need everyone to know that I am not the right person. This happened by accident. And in doing so, gives up the woman he loves. It, like, there was a little bit of a character development there. And I enjoyed it. And I'm just trying smashed. to say one nice thing about the movie. <laughs> Small thing. Yeah, and then it immediately goes away because it's the night of the last hunt. They don't do hunts anymore because they're getting attacked now. Yep, and so the horses show up and... Well, and I want to, we haven't really talked about her very much. Uh, she's really important, though. We have the voodoo lady. Uh, who, she's not voodoo, that's African. She, I, I always think of Louisiana when I think of, like, voodoo. I'm talking about that kind of voodoo. But I'm talking about that kind of voodoo because of, she, she just wears bones. I, I mean, yeah. like, I, I only I have her in my notes as bone lady. I think this is also silly race-wise because she is clearly like native Alaskan or like native somewhere Pacific Islander or something. Yeah, I think I read that she was- Like Native American. It was like Indo-Pacific or something like that. Uh, I I had read something that said she is like the last Neanderthal. What is she doing in Russia? Well, real quick, none of them are Russian. <laughs> none of them would be Russian. Russia didn't exist yet. These well, are all I Neanderthals. Know. I'm They'd just be... saying, what is she doing over there? Well, yeah. <laughs> but what are any of these people doing here? I feel like all of these people randomly showed up on this mountaintop and decided to form a tribe. 
because that's what it seems like. And they stole a white baby on the way. And that's what this <laughs> plot is. Okay, well, do we really need to talk about the, the bone mother that much? Well, yeah, we need to talk about the bone lady because it's because of her that they have all of these magical things because she is the magical part of their tribe. There actually is no magic except for the very end, which we will talk about when we get there. Uh, like, apart from her vision, which, yes, it turns out to be correct, um, but I don't think it's really that much of a stretch to be like, oh, no, this poor girl's village was destroyed. It's going to happen to us, too. Well, it's she has the vision at the beginning, and then, of course, like you said at the end, there's also that magic as well. So there's definitely magic, a little bit. It's just enough to be supernatural. But my biggest point, why I want to bring up the Bone Lady, is for the scene where the raid happens. Uh, it's because she also sleeps in her bones, which confused <laughs> yeah. me. She wears this giant thing of just every type of bone, and she sleeps in it. She walks around in it. She not she's not once in this film wearing anything else, and she's like perfectly in this bone suit the entire time. Over the course of what is most likely months of this movie, it's hard to tell. Yeah, but, as she's also with everybody else who gets captured, like dragged across the entire length of Europe and into Africa. Well, she's no, she stays in the tribe. Does she stay behind? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, because oh. that's what happens at the end. Is there like, like this whole oh, thing? Oh, right. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. She yeah. doesn't. No, because the whole time she's having visions of what's going on. Like she's seeing what's going on. Okay, I, I think that's why magic. I was confused. I thought she was there and no. just seeing them. She actually is having yeah. visions. She's okay. pretty much in a hut the whole time. She like sits there with the bones on, and that's like her whole character. Yeah, and has visions. But yeah, so the so the the raid comes. Yes, um, this was like the second of many times they use really terrible slow-mo. So for for the rest of the people out there who maybe aren't as up on uh, film as we are, you can do t- slow motion one of two ways. One would be to take more shots so that when you play it normally, it seems slow. The bad way to do it is to lengthen the, um, the amount of time that a frame appears on the screen. You've all seen it before, even if you haven't figured out, a, like, figured out what it exactly was. But it comes across so choppy and awful, and it takes you right out of the movie, and it happens at least a half dozen times. Yep. There has to be a reason to use slow motion. Like, it needs to be a part of the story or of the character or of the moment. You can't just use it because you're using it, which is what Roland Emmerich does. But that's just an Emmerich thing, too. Um, yeah. So we are attacked by uh, these uh, roving band of people who we don't really know where they're from yet. Uh, they have swords. They have bow and arrow. They have so many... Like, they clearly have metal working abilities, despite the fact that the earliest metal working, uh, where is it? Uh, was the Bronze Age, which was 2500 BC. So I want to bring up a quick point though. Uh-huh. We know that that number is incorrect. I watched a documentary episode on, from the History Channel on this. Uh, we know that number is incorrect for metal working because we don't know the date, but we know that they're older than... Uh, we know that they're older than 5,000 BC, but they found Chinese metalworked pipes oh. from that dated past that. 
So it's, it's something that uh, they've been looking into for a civilization that we might not know about because they're obviously metalworked because they're formed. So they, so that is a date that I guess in fairness, there are some things I will say Roland Emmerich has. It's still 5,000 years later. But that, that's, there's, they don't know when the actual date is. They just know it's older than that. But those are like fully formed swords. They formed full metal pipes and they put them in the ground to run water. That's what the problem is. Um, that's just on the documentary I watched though. But what I'm saying is that there are some things here where he has a little bit of a liberty to do, I guess, to like change some things up, but just slight liberties. He does still yeah. go overboard on a lot of things, but just some things like that. I just want to bring that one up because it's also interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, so we're introduced to what I thought was going to be our main bad guy, but really isn't. Um, the leader of this hunting pack, whose voice sounds like uh, the bad guy from Stargate, another Roland Emmerich movie. It's like just so weirdly auto-tuned. He's just, like, the entire time, just in a normal speaking voice, there's nothing to denote that he has something wrong with his voice, but he sounds like Darth Vader, like, with a cold. It's just so It's super deep. Yes. It's just, like, it's, like, to just imply that he is the bad guy because he has the deep, scary voice. Yeah. And he's certainly not a good guy, but he's really not the villain. No, he doesn't turn out to be the villain at all. I think he's definitely a bad guy. I think what it, I mean, what it ends up being is he's more just a bad guy for himself. He's not for anyone. He's like this neutral bad guy who just wants what he wants. But, yeah, that's fair. But the interesting thing with him is that he also... So the only characters that really speak English in this are our main tribe. Everyone and the else speaks the other one. random things. Yes, yeah. Um, so actually, th- that was another thing that kind of confused me, and I guess we can get into it more when we meet the rest of the tribes, but it seems like there's one language for everybody, like all the people we started with. There's another one for every other African tribe, and then there's a third one for the main bad guys at the end. And it seems like there are only three languages. I want to know where they meet this African tribe. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so um, I would like to get there, but first we've got the jungle scene. So oh the, our, our good guys are following the trail of the bad guys. Um, Through the, the blue-eyed snowy girl mountains. Has been, yeah, the blue-eyed girl has been taken hostage by the bad guys, along with a bunch of the other uh, villagers. They're going through snowy mountains. It, it, it seems like they're hiking through the mountain range that they're in. And then, very suddenly... Like, you can see the mountains in the background. They walk into a jungle. A straight-up jungle that has bamboo in it. Yeah, that's what I was saying. That's what I pointed out to Cam when we were watching it, is there is bamboo here. Where the fuck are they? (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. There's, like, a lot of... When I say it's sudden, it's hysterical. It seems like they go, like the camera could be on them climbing down the mountain and then it turns around and there's just a jungle. And it's full of like tall grass and we get to see a bunch of these, I don't know what they are, carnivorous emu. Oh my God. This plot thing that I have up right now is referring to them as terror birds. Oh yes. Terror birds? Terror birds. I feel like I've heard that phrase before. I don't know what in reference to, maybe this is just a, 
like there were carnivorous emu. I don't, this isn't my field. I don't know. <laughs> no, but uh, this is where they actually meet up with the, the people who kidnapped. The yeah, this is the first, tribe. this is the first confrontation on the trail. And it's completely dumb because they actually managed to free the girl. And well, then because of all this mess with the terror birds, she actually gets captured again. Yeah. Along with some more members of their party. Yeah. I just want to bring up a really weird moment here, like a specific moment that got to me for some reason. When he, so the guy, our our main Italian man here, the main character, uh, when he finally sees them, they kind of sneak up on the bad guys at first and they're kind of just watching them. He looks through the bushes and he sees the blue-eyed girl, which is what he's going for, you know? And... When he's watching the bad guy, our main bad guy is just like, he's like abusing her. And the dude smiles, the main character. He's like looking at the love of his life because he's finally seeing her again and she's in anguish and he just smiles. It's, it's yeah. super awkward. Yes. He's like, oh yeah, that's Soon her. Soon I'll be the one doing that to her. <laughs> that's what it kind of felt like. It felt really weird. I know that it was supposed to be because he was happy to see her. Yeah, and no, that's why that it's not portrayed that way at but all. Yeah, after all this, it ends up just being tic tac and delay uh, because yeah. Karen gets murdered and the boy gets captured. Oh no, Karen gets captured because Karen dies later in yeah. a great way. Oh, so which one of them dies? Is it just somebody else? Oh, it's uh, it's just a random one. There's a bunch okay. of more or less unnamed characters, or, or like they only get a name after they've died, so somebody can say, "Oh, Talak Talak died." Um, but there are like there is uh, one of the other kids who gets kidnapped. There's like a younger boy um, who's clearly like not quite ready for the hunt age, um, although like we see him and he's clearly like eighteen, nineteen. Um, yeah, he's just shorter, so that means he's younger, right? Yeah, um, he's a part of the rescue party who does get captured in this bit. But <laughs> I fucking hate when this happens in movies. He like jumps testicles first onto a pole and there's just like oh, yeah. a ball pain humor joke. It's so out of place in the middle it really of this It does not make any bit. sense. Yeah, there's no other jokes in this movie. It, it's just sort of like... <laughs> I can imagine Roland Emmerich being like, "Hi right, guys, this will be super fun. Let's do this." I don't sound know. A little Roland more Emmerich. like you sound a little more like you a bull there. That's yeah, the, <laughs> <laughs> which is an, it's bull is like the cheap movie Roland Emmerich. That's basically oh, yeah. the only difference is the budget. <laughs> yeah, kind of is true. <laughs> uh, yeah, the terror birds they all attack. That's fine. Yeah, and. Tic Tac gets injured, but not very badly. Like, like there's, it's like, Delay's like, oh no, my mentor, my friend! And he like touches his abdomen and comes up with like two drops of blood on his hands. To be like, fair, oh, okay, so he seems then, fine. Back then, infection was a death sentence. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Making excuses. That's a real thing, though! <laughs> Good for you. So they keep moving after they lose the girl for no reason. Because yep. he leaves her in a tree and then she gets captured again. He like yes. drags his friend through all of these different biomes. Yep. Continually They're in like a sudden him. Sahara grassland and it's horrible day for night. The worst I've ever seen. 
So something that you can do if you don't want to shoot at night is to basically just put like a blue filter over it. And usually it's like a, you know, it's kind of technical and you can do it well, but this looked so bad. Is that what they were trying, is that really a thing? Yeah. What? Yeah. Let's just make it blue and then it's night. Well, you know, this was not a high budget film. So that's- Just kidding. I think it was what, like 20 million? (laughs) If it's Roland Emmerich, it's a high budget film. I don't know. Yeah. It, yeah, that's just what he does. But yeah, no, he. This part was so unrealistic to me, just because he's just like we we talked about. It before. Oh my god, I'm sorry. I I don't mean to interrupt, but I no. just found the <laughs> the budget was 105 million dollars. Good God! <laughs> Holy shit! This is what they made, and it only made 35 million. <laughs> oh no, wow. that's the opening weekend. Okay, I guess All overall right. it made it made its money back. It was a success. Not if you include marketing costs, but they never do. Uh, <laughs> um, but the the thing here for me is just we we talked about before the episode, uh, just amongst us, that this is like a thousand mile journey or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, like twelve hundred miles. He yeah. drags his friend through, I'd say, a good nearly a third of this journey. It seems he had to. Have. He he had to have dragged him that far, even if he drags his friend through an eighth of the journey. That's absurd. That's just ridiculous. That's still yep. over a hundred miles. He's like clearly fashioned one of those like um, one person stretcher where the other end just drags on the ground. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. He's a malnourished caveman. I don't think he's doing it. Well, no. And I don't even know how he fashioned the stretcher. I guess he invented the stretcher, which is a part of history I didn't learn. But... <laughs> It, the whole thing is just ridiculous. But now we, we can go to the, the Save the Cat thing, which is even more ridiculous. In order to show that he's not a shitty piece of shit, he saves the cat. He falls into a hole with a bunch of spikes, and it's raining, and so the hole is filling up with water, and there's a cat, like a saber-toothed cat. I guess it's technically a Smilodon. is stuck under a bunch of, like, fallen trees and this this hole he falls into it's not just a hole i mean it's literally filled to the brim with spikes yeah and he misses the spikes both the cat and he miss the spikes now i have a question because this is something that we couldn't figure out on my end when we were watching it is are those man-made spikes or are those like stalactites either way they look all spikes those are definitely they gotta be man-made no because that was a trap that he fell into i want to know a trap for what because it's huge. I mean, it's big enough for the world's largest saber tooth, literally like one of the largest saber tooths to ever exist to fall mm-hmm. into and a full grown man and for them to be separated. Uh, Cause That's the cat possible. thing happens, they meet the Naku tribe, um, which are just, they're, they're just Zulus. For anybody who's seen like um, the Battle of Work Works Drift, it, so- it seemed like they just sort of raided a really old costume shop for those. Uh, the Naku show up and are like, who the hell are you? Uh, we're frightened of you. But then out of nowhere, the cat that he just saves shows up and like bows to him, I guess. Yeah, this oh. whole, yeah. So he saves the cat just to show people know what's going on. He finds the cat. He then, the, he saves it. The giant animal just leaves. Uh, and you'd think, you would think a saber tooth cat that is out here in the middle of nowhere is never going to show up again, Right. However, 
Then they, like you said, they go to this tribe, the tribe's threatening them. The cat shows up and I'm like, cool. It's like Calvin and Hobbes, right? Like he gets a little friend, but then the cat just goes away again after saving his life. It's like an I owe you one. So I followed you just in case. It's like a thanks buddy. If and it turns out that's be, also part of a prophecy. If this is supposed to be the Zulu tribe, the Zulu is from South Africa. I don't think it's supposed to be the Zulu tribe. Yeah, no, I was just like, I, I, when I saw them, I was like, oh my God, these are the exact costumes from, um, I forget, it's the movie with Michael Caine in it. It's very old. It's the Battle of Warfare's Drift. I'll remember it later for no reason. Batman Begins. Yep. But yep. That's there we the go. One. That's like, the one. I mentioned earlier, this is clearly an African tribe mm-hmm. with African weapons and African clothing and, you know, the whole bit. But, like, where the fuck are they? Tribes can migrate. I mean, we know that. I mean, there's theories that the tribe or, like, the uh, the natives from Mexico actually migrated from Canada. So there's, I mean, tribes absolutely migrate. Well, I was watching this. I was like, okay, so they had to go all the way down wherever they came from past Egypt into Africa to meet this tribe and then back up into Egypt. I, I guess yeah. if they, I, don't I know. won't argue with the placement of tribes just because we, I mean, again, we're talking about 10,000 BC. We're talking about 12,000 years ago. It's a very different environment, a very different people, very different setting. Place so poorly. I mean, I don't necessarily know if they're placed poorly. I think they're just, place where he wanted them to be. You want to tell us why you think this movie is great? I don't think the movie's great. I'm just saying there's those things, there are certain things you can defend on it. Like tribes do migrate. We, for all we know, they're just a tribe that consistently migrated for generations until they, um, until they found a spot that they wanted to stay. It's also a possibility. Or maybe they were driven out of where they originally lived and that's what he was going for. Maybe that's what the original generation was doing. So when he meets this tribe, we find out that his father was actually a friend of the only person that could speak their language to. Thank God his father took the same 500 mile trail, exactly the same path to meet this tiny tribe. Because otherwise it would have been really awkward if he had not found out this information. It also doesn't really make any sense for him to do that because he's specifically going out of his way to uh, like find a way to save the tribe because they're running out of food in the area they're in. So why would he go to the desert where there's less food? Yeah. Uh, I don't really, I don't really get it. It's revealed that like, oh no, your father wasn't a, a coward. He was actually trying to like, this is the point where we find all of that out. Um, and all the while our hero is eating a hot pepper, which causes him to hiccup, uh, which was a, a weird choice. See, I really you ever said think. there was no other humor. There's oh, more humor. Yeah, nope, that's at, hilarious. Who's got egg on their face? That's right. Um, then, yeah, so also, it turned. This is also where we find out that his father was captured by the same people who captured the more members of his tribe. Yeah. yeah. Just and out of there. All, like, And the fact that he, like, pretended. He's, the father somehow, like, sowed the story that, like, I'm running away from the tribe just for plot reasons. He wasn't doing that. He was going to save them. Why not tell everyone that? Right. Also, uh, hot peppers were not cultivated in that area until the 1500s. Yep. Until 1500s AD. So 
they were oh. a couple thousands of years off. They're a couple thousand years off, like with pretty much everything in this everything. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Um, so they, um, because he spoke to the saber-toothed tiger and didn't get eaten, that's part. That's a different part of a prophecy. There's just prophecies all over the place, and. Um, so they're basically like, all right, well, this is the prophecy is this guy is going to lead us against the, the oppressive people who have been stealing from us. Like the guy who speaks, um, our hero's language, his son was taken and his wife killed. So they're going to round up all of the tribes in the area. There's a bit of a montage where we just meet a bunch of like, it's the same tribe. They're just wearing different bamboo masks. Um, yeah. and oh my god <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> another thing that really made me laugh out ra- aloud was um, was our main guy goes like oh where are they like who are they from and <laughs> uh, his uh, tribal friend leader goes like oh they are the people who live that way and like points out <laughs> in the distance as if that's the name of the tribe <laughs> there was also something like they they are the people who hide their faces behind masks or something, and it's like yeah. the ones the big bamboo masks. You don't say. Really? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Pretty sure yeah. they would probably have a name for themselves. So our uh, our band of heroes who have now gathered a bunch of warriors to their cause have almost caught up to the caravan leading all the slaves um, to what we will eventually find out are the pyramids. Um, and then, and this part made me scream, they get onto sailboats. Actual sailboats Enormous in 10,000 BC. On like, the Nile. Yeah, mm. or maybe a tributary of the Nile. Hard to you know, say there. Yeah. Uh, one thing I want to bring up real quick. You say they caught up to them, Right. They caught up to the people that were on horses while he was dragging his friend through the desert, fell into a pit, met a tribe and hung out. Waited for everybody to gather. Waited for everyone to gather, (laughs) then walked even further. And somehow, for some reason, he caught up to them. Yep. And as if he even still knew exactly where they were going. Which is also a weird thing. I know, like they never really show anybody tracking anything. Like it's, nobody is like, oh, they definitely went this way. No, it's like climb on rocks, walk over a dune, walk past trees, fall in pit, climb out of pit. That's no, that's the exactly right. There's an earlier bit we glossed over it because it doesn't matter, where it's revealed that the uh, blue-eyed love interest is like leaving bone charms behind to like mark their way, and the bad guy figures it out and takes her bone charms away, and yet after that point they have no problem still tracking them. Yeah. Yeah. So what the fuck? <laughs> Why do that? Because they didn't have anybody with the capabilities of tracking people. They were they were literally just following her. And that was that was mixed way back, so yeah. So they I found these these magical sailboats on the river, and yep. they're like, "Well, shit." And I guess they kind of just wander through the desert and then find the civilization. They follow the trail of the river. That's easy enough. That part makes sense to me because at least you have something to follow. Yes, okay, I actually, I'm sorry to break in here, but I had something about this that confused the shit out of me. They're like, oh no, we're like, they're on sailboats, they're gonna go faster, I guess. Um, 
but is there a quicker way to get where they're going? And I'm like, no, just follow the damn river. That's going to be your shortest distance. And uh, another one of the tribes guys goes like, no, it's if you go into the desert and he gives them like a riddle. Like if you go into the desert and like find the eye that doesn't move in the sunlight, but moves at night, it doesn't make any sense for even what the final reveal is. And the final reveal is it's the North Star. You need to follow the North Star and you will get there. Which to me says, okay, that means that they were, uh, once again, they were south of Cairo. They overshot where they were heading and then had to go back up. And not only that, um, not only that, the North Star was not the North Star 12,000 years ago. (laughs) The stars shift. Yeah, so it was like like maybe the Northwest Star. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it made me so mad. Yeah, so they, but like, that's what I was saying, is they kind of were just wandering through the desert, because they weren't really following the river. They were, like, camping out or whatever, and he goes, oh, there it is, and, like, sees the star. But, yep. like, so they, they used that to stumble upon this civil- civilization. I just fucking remembered something, and it's mind-blowing. I can't believe I forgot this. This is one of what? the most important <laughs> things about the Nile. They're sailing in the direction that the Nile flows. The Nile flows backwards. It flows south to north, which is one of the most important distinctions for the Nile. I completely forgot this, which means they have to start in the south and they have to then go north. So they are on the Nile. They have to be. Yeah, see, that's what I was saying, though, is like these African tribes that they're finding had to be in Africa. So, So they literally went from Russia all the way down across the Nile down into... Probably at least South Egypt. The Found all these thing, people and then went back up. The only thing I can think of is that they're, while trailing the antagonists here, what they're doing is they're trailing the antagonists who are kidnapping people that they need, and then they're going to loop back up to meet up with the boats to then sail the Nile to get to... So they do at least a little bit of a, of a backtracking then, because they had to go at least a little south in order to go back north. Yeah, also important point for the Nile, since we're talking about it now, uh, it's at its thinnest i think it's about a mile wide a little over a mile wide at its thinnest point and in this film it's consistently like a creek so yeah. it's like boats are in single file which you yeah. think for roland emmerich who likes to do everything big he would have made it like 30 miles wide because that's usually what he does but no it's like yeah. a creek it's and if you've ever seen a mile wide river it's not the same thing to see a stream and to see a mile wide river Completely different. Yeah, Those the Mississippi are very River fucked me up. The Mississippi River, I mean... I hadn't seen yeah. it before, and then it was like, holy fucking shit, this is not a river, this is a monster. Yeah. <laughs> but I come from the West Coast, where we don't have those things. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, they get to this mysterious little civilization where we find out that all of these people that they've kidnapped are slaves to build the pyramids. Um, yep. So they're literally just like thrown into it. And I don't know how long they've been there. Seems like it's been a few days before, well, it had to be a few days before our heroes show up. Um, yeah, also of- this is just another, like we don't need to keep harping on this point, but the pyramids were built in 3000 BC, yeah. 7,000 years after this. Can't don't say aliens. Don't, oh. I'm not gonna say aliens. No, there is a legitimate, <laughs> legitimate theory, like an actual theory that's still being studied they think that some of it was already built. And that when the Egyptians came into the area, they actually continued building 
like in the same way that a previous civilization had been there. And that is what Roland Emmerich based his movie off of. I will say that that is actually a real thing. He chose to base it off of that theory. So he didn't just come up with that out of nowhere. So technically, these aren't Egyptians. They are a different culture. Well, this that, is civilization similar to ancient Egypt. Exactly. They are the culture that preceded the uh, Egyptians, which means they're the ones who then influenced them later. And it's okay, thought... Even if we're to take, take that as read, um, the pyramids that they're building are 95% done. Yeah, they're pretty much already stacked. Yeah, no, it's they're putting the capstone on it. Well, that's the thing, though, is that there, that theory goes into play that the Sphinx was already built and that a few of the pyramids were already built. And then this, the Egyptians then later continued building pyramids based off of the, stru- the few structures that were already there. I'm not saying that that's true. I'm saying that that's <laughs> what his whole idea was based off here. Okay. That way people know that we're not actually talking about Egyptians. He's talking about a possible pre-civilization. Well, it's, it's clearly not Egyptians, too, because we have these weird god characters. It's clearly fucking reptilians. I don't yeah. fucking... Yeah, okay, so good. We'll get to this part now. So the they infiltrated Cairo, and they're talking with some slaves, and they're like, okay, hey, you there, guy. What, um, you happen to know all about the gods, and it's like one of their servants or something who ran away. The blind guy. Um, yeah. And yeah, he's like, some say they come from the stars. There were three of them, but now there's only one of them. And I'm like, yes, yes, aliens, I will 100% love this movie if it turns out that the twist at the end is they just are aliens. Right? I would have been stoked. That would have been awesome. And it would have made sense. It's like, oh, okay, they gave them metalworking technology and sailing and, and whatnot. Like, that actually would have put a bow on the entire thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. The movie, <laughs> I will say the movie never does strictly state that they're not. And it, it, I guess you so. see it's the seems, guy. And we'll he's just an old it. white dude. But he's, he's a reptilian pope. I stand by this. <laughs> I, that's exactly. Reptilians are aliens. Let me, let me ask you though. Like he's like the only white dude other than the two main characters. He's like the only other white dude in this film. It, he seems like he's supposed to be out of place. I feel like he's supposed to be an alien. Hey, uh, you know what? I want it. I'm just going to take it into my head canon that he is an alien. It just cool. makes it better. A failed alien. Yeah. A failed invader. That's what he ends up becoming. Yeah. But anyway, the, the slaves, like, yeah, so the blind man seems to know everything. The part that bothered me about this is then the guards rush into the cells, which, by the way, the cells have no top, which is how our good guys even get in there in the first place they climb over a wall yep. from the outside to get into the cells when those people should be able to climb out it doesn't make any sense but the guards invade and they don't see them stuff this blind man into a hole which is the most confusing part about all of this to me yeah. is yeah. how they're and keeping they're, him a secret yes and they're rushing they're like oh no we gotta hide him we gotta hide him but uh, delay is like no wait hang on a second that bracelet you've got where'd you get that and it's like, oh, it's the man who saved me. It turns out his father saved him. His father's dead. Okay, this is where we find that out as well. This entire thread yeah. that they've been dangling in front of us of, ooh, his father, oh, he's following his father. No, his father's just dead. Yeah, fuck that guy. He's over. Um, yep. But then it's it's at this point that they're like, okay, so there is a way to kill it. Like, kill the the alien leader here. And so I guess their plan is to infiltrate all of these warriors 
faking as slaves? Is that what they were doing? Yeah, so they just like, bury they all just kind of like, go in. You yeah, say they bury a bunch of spears slaves. in the dirt. I, can yeah. I, real quick, you say faking as slaves, but all you have to do in this movie, based on costuming to fake as a slave, is just join in with the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. Because you don't have to, it's not like Hitman, you gotta get like all dressed up. Like you gotta, you just gotta walk in and you look just like everybody else there because they're people that they They had like hundreds of warriors with them. Like some, I, I, you know what? It's definitely not the most crazy thing about this movie, but I was like, so is no one noticing that like the workforce has increased by a thousand? Right. (laughs) No one noticed them shove a blind man into a hole. So, and they were standing right there so, I don't know. But oh, yeah, like you said about the spears. There's also this weird little scene where, like Robert keeps saying, there's a shitload of prophecies in this movie that are all really stupid. Oh. But this is where um, the, the leader of the slavers, um, the guy with the really scary Batman voice, uh, takes Evelette, the blue-eyed chick. He takes her because he's in love with her. Right? And they're in this room somewhere, and then he gets arrested. And this is where, like, I guess they're the mystics? People with little buns on their head? Yeah, they're yeah, the priests like the, or something. Mystics or priests or whatever. whatever the yeah. the right all-seers. Yeah. Uh, they see this scar on her hand, and they're like, oh, you're the one that can kill the, the leader, the gods or whatever, right? Because yeah, she's got the stars like, on her hand. Yeah, it's like, oh, it's the sign of the hunter or something. And it's like, oh, look, the, it, like, she got her hand whipped. And, yeah. like, like random, like, ulcerated sores have formed in the shape of Orion. Except it doesn't really look like Orion, like, at all. But the movie made it look like it then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Stars move, just so you know. So yeah, maybe they look So according to this, it's okay. the ancient prophecy foreseeing their civilization's downfall. Whoa. And hey. then the Almighty realizes um, that she's she ain't shit, basically. Which we find yeah. out later, because she's not even the one that kills him. Well, yeah. Well, well, he's like, he's, oh, yeah. so is, does that, is there someone following her? And somebody's like, yeah, no, there's a guy from the mountains following her. And it's like, it's the hunter. It's that guy. <laughs> so I guess the prophecy, it like, despite the fact that the blind guy was like, oh, he's a, the one thing that can kill him is the thing with the mark of the hunter. And it turns out, no, it's the guy who is in love with the person who carries the mark it's of the hunter. It's always the man. Can you imagine yeah. how disappointed that ancient civilization would have been if he had died in the pit with the saber tooth? They, like, if he had just been impaled on a spike, they would have been waiting forever for him to show up. And he would have just never shown up. But the prophecy wouldn't (laughs) let him die. Uh, But yeah, like you said, they bury spears, they go join the crowds, right? That was before this. Yeah, and you you jumped ahead to his death. No, I didn't. You talked about his death. I talked about the prophecy, (laughs) so just start from there. Well, I wanted to talk about something real quick, because when they they join in with the slaves, this is one of the best showings we have of woolly mammoths. In the fucking oh, yeah. desert. Yes. In the God wearing a harness. Desert. What they should have died forever ago. Yeah, for some yeah. reason they're using them as like they're pulling the stones up the pyramid. Yeah. But like how the yeah. fuck do you train a woolly mammoth? How that's not even my biggest problem. My biggest problem is just at least shave it. 
I don't know what a shave, like <laughs> what it would looks like if you shave a woolly mammoth. Shave it. What are they gonna use? Nobody had electric clippers. Use some of your alien metalworking <laughs> technology and shave the goddamn thing. <laughs> I feel like they last longer. Yeah, I feel like I wouldn't have been too surprised if somebody did pull out like a set of clippers or like and turned on a lamp or so, like it just whatever at this point. Honestly. Who cares? At least a man with a spray bottle, something to cool them down. They are giant. They don't give a shit. They're giant they're furry like creatures. That. Also, what do they do with them when they die? Do you, like, do oh, you have to get another mammoth? Eat them. They walk through earlier in the movie like a uh, combined elephant and human graveyard that I'm guessing is just oh, the dumping right. ground. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I that. Uh, that was out in the middle but, of the desert somewhere. Yeah. Anyway, so their whole plan hinges on, all right, we're going to make the woolly mammoths panic. Um, and like one of the woolly mammoths just like faints from heat stroke. The bad guys keep whipping it as if that's going to help. Um, that is it a, doesn't. That's how you solve heat stroke. Yeah. <laughs> um, so delay. They start a rebellion. Yes, they start a rebellion. Basically, like make the woolly mammoths go a little crazy and knock a bunch of blocks off. And they're like, "Yeah, let's go." And now comes to my favorite part of the movie. It's when Karen dies, because for no reason, like they're like, "All right, we've got a small like our small elite group is up at the top, and we're gonna go take on the big bad guy." And like the um, the rebellion is spreading all throughout the area, but all of our main characters are kind of right at the top of the pyramid. Karen turns around and goes to fight a bunch of guys. Does not do a good job. Dies very quickly. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it was, I was laughing the entire time because it was so unnecessary. It was such like, I'm going to die a heroic death. And it's like, you definitely don't need to. Yeah, like, don't die that, on man. this hill. I hate when characters die heroic deaths when they don't need to actually die. It yeah, doesn't exactly. make a lot of sense. He's just so mad about being like imprisoned that he's like, I'm going to speak to your manager. <laughs> <laughs> Because his name is Karen. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I was waiting for you to make a Karen joke. I knew that's what you were building up to. <laughs> so they, they have this very long rebellion scene. Lots of things happening. Um, all of our main characters are not getting shot except for Karen. Or killed or stabbed or in any, any other kind of attacking. Uh, and so then the almighty comes out and everyone's like, oh shit. Right, and then they try to make a deal. Like, the Almighty shows up, and then all of the slaves just bow. Yeah. They're like, oh, okay, nope, all right, you're done, you're right. That's what I'm saying, um, is the Almighty came out, and everyone just kind of stopped. Yeah, and then they capture the main guy. But, but they don't really capture him. He just sort of, like, walks up. There's a bunch of guards in front of him, like, yeah, all right, I'm going to, like, clearly I'm here to protect the Almighty, but they just let him walk right up. Mm -hmm. And um, and the Almighty, to... Um, I forgot which one of you said it, but to uh, someone's point, the, the rebellion's done. All of the slaves immediately bowed. Yet, yep. the Almighty, which is what this character, like the head hierarch's name is, it, it, like decides to make a deal uh, with the leader, despite the fact that he's already undone the rebellion. He's like, look, if you turn around and leave, I will give you your woman. And uh, Delay's like, no. I will turn around and leave with the woman and my people. 
and everyone's like, oh no, is he going to betray us? Oh no. And at first I was like thinking, oh wow, this is going to be a neat little echo of the earlier thing. Like, is he going to have to give up the woman he loves in order to do the right thing? Uh, no. No, no, that's not the case. He just throws a spear at the Almighty, <laughs> dies immediately. Yeah. It's so anticlimactic and so unearned. Also a hell of a throw. A hell of yes. a throw. I don't think anybody, even a practice spearsman, could throw a spear that I don't far. think Hercules from New York could have done it. <laughs> I, you need someone with just ridiculous like ungodly strength well, that's to chuck something it up else a pyramid. in this movie too is like they're all terrible at throwing spears like you see them chucking spears all throughout the movie but they always like wobble when they leave their hand and it like yeah. even this one wobbles like, they show it looks it. like it's about to hit the ground but then it always hits the target perfectly yes it just cuts and then oh wow that was a perfect shot yeah. Uh, there's actually the skinny kid that I mentioned earlier. He throws uh, uh, a spear at a minor bad guy, and it just straight up misses. And I thought that was the funniest thing. Yeah, <laughs> I know. We watched that several times. It's because his friend is being <laughs> held, and he's about to die. So he throws the spear to try and kill the bad guy, and he just it just hits the ground. It almost it's hits not the even friend. a near miss. Yeah, <laughs> it almost kills his friend. <laughs> Oh man. Um, but, but yeah, so this, this finishes off the rebellion or it finishes off like the ridiculousness of it. Like it starts, everyone starts burning everything. This is where everything gets all dramatic. Yeah. And yeah, the, the love interest sort of for the girl. And if you play seven nation army over it, it's perfect. <laughs> it's he, he's angry because she is free and going back to delay or whatever. And so he kills her with an arrow. And it's all slow motion yeah. and terrible. Yeah, he breaks out of prison. He tries to steal her. Delay runs. The arrows. She's I, dead. That, that's the most famous shot from the film, though, because they showed it in like, every single trailer. It was the slow motion arrow shot. Oh, yeah. Like, every, like, it's something I've seen for every promo I've seen for this film. So this is this is when Bone Lady is brought back into it because they do a really 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 long bit of intercutting between the two of them while the Bone Lady is fucking dying, and because apparently they were connected, I guess. Yeah, and so the um, so Evelette is pretty much dead now. Bone Lady is like having a seizure, and then you see like magic breath come out of her, and then it goes into Evelette. Um, I guess, to bring her back to life in a completely unearned fashion. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't need to have her die. And it's a big pet peeve of mine when a character dies only to be immediately re resurrected. At least it wait. undoes what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. I'm fine with, like, if they're going to wait and do it or if they're going to, like, allude to it. Like, I always, like, even though League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is not a great film, like, they do a great job with doing a similar thing in that film. where Like, they allude to oh. it, but they never tell you. Um, like it, that's fine with me, but just immediately, like it just undoes any emotional connection you have with the film. Yes, I almost have and a little bit of respect too. Almost, <laughs> almost. Um, yeah, no, it's like this movie like occasionally walks up to the line of like, oh hey, that's an interesting little. Oh no, you're just ignoring that. Oh, okay, never mind then. Um, also, how did giving her her breath back uh, heal her arrow wounds? I mean, yeah, right. I guess just magic, but 
Like, it would be kind of funny if she came back to life only to be like, oh, shit, I'm still bleeding. Oh. <laughs> dies again. And then just lives. dies again. <laughs> I got the impression that you transfer, I think just because of all the other things I've seen where they do this trope, is that what you're doing is you're transferring the life energy and that that wound is going to be transferred to Bone Lady. We don't see that because Bone Lady's wearing a lot of bones. Sounds like you're a fantasy writer and you made up a story. That, that's what people do. That's a, that's a common trope is you transfer the wound to the other person. That's totally a thing that I see all the time. I mean, I guess so that since could she's alive. Yeah. But then they kind of oh. just, that's it. Um, yeah, there's one li- little thing just before she comes back to life, and it's kind of visual, so it maybe not won't translate well in the podcast, but just before Evelyn comes back to life, our hero kills the, like, deep-voiced bad guy who shot her with the arrow, but does it in the weirdest way. He's, uh, the bad guy's on his knees, the hero is standing in front of him with a spear, and then stabs downward in a way that's, like, parallel to his chest, and then he just like falls back with no wound visible. It doesn't make any sense how yeah, he died. Yeah, it's like, did he stab him in the crotch? Because that's where he was aiming. I'm going to assume he killed him by stabbing him in the crotch. It, I guess so. I guess, but there's still, like like he just said, there was no visible wound. Maybe he didn't die, right? Well, he's wearing pants. But maybe pants? he didn't die. Maybe he went into shock, fell backwards, and then he died from blood loss later. Oh, speaking of him falling backwards, just before he gets stabbed, um, Delay is, like, just punching him, but he keeps, like, bobbling back up like a weeble wobble. <laughs> like, he gets hit in the face and then just sort of, like, comes back up onto his knees. Yeah. It it's really, really awkward. Funny. The whole thing is really strange when he dies. It looked so terrible. It was, like, all of the shots were so close, so it was really hard to tell what was going on. Yeah, it's just one of those chaotic fight scenes that you get in all types of these big budget action films where you know that there's like two characters that you're aware of and everyone else in there is just fodder just to make it look like a big battle even though nothing's really going on. It's Mm -hmm. just that for 15 minutes, it feels like. Yeah. Typical Roland Emmerich. Typical Roland Emmerich. I guess the civilization is now collapsed entirely. Um, So everyone just goes home. And <laughs> yeah, everyone just goes home. Yeah, I mean, like that's really the the end of it. There, uh, the the um, Naku tribe gives Delay some seeds or something, and they start yeah. fucking growing corn in Russia. Which again, in a 1500s. way that makes me think like a, like a a thing is about to pop up on the screen, like Civilization Six style. Like you've unlocked agriculture. Yes. Yeah. So they like before that they they go back home and they're like there is no travel anymore they just appear back in their tribe and everyone's like oh we've been waiting for you and they're somehow still alive in this frozen wasteland with no food um and then (laughs) is there anything else to point out before the very last scene because i really want to talk about the very 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 last bit you can go to the last bit no go ahead okay so everything's all great and wonderful this is our happy ending uh Delay and Evelette are standing on a lake. And I don't know if you noticed this, Robert, but the backdrop doesn't move. Oh, no. At all. The water is just stagnant, but it's got waves it's in it. It's a picture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And there are two <laughs> shots so of it. There are two shots of it, and the water is not moving at all. Yeah, I don't think we mentioned earlier, just to kind of preface this, is that uh, most of this film, most of this film's on a green screen entirely. Oh yeah, and it's a really bad shallow depth where things look super flat, green screen. Mm-hmm. And this is by far the worst example of green screen use I've ever seen in my life. It's literally yeah. like a Microsoft background that they have stuck behind these people. It's like a sunset with the mountains and the water. And you can see that the water is supposed to be like glistening and rippling, but it's not moving it at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was um, there was a point earlier, it was like during the first mammoth chase that I wrote a note saying like, this running in front of a CG backdrop looks awful because the backdrop isn't moving at anywhere near the same rate they are. Like there's mm-hmm. no perspective. It was like, and it, it's like a very close in shot. So all you can see is just their little fists pumping and like <laughs> trees whizzing by in the background. Like it's a really early version of the flash. Yeah, it's so bad. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. No, the water not moving was like the, it was the perfect nail in the coffin. It was the, the perfect story. end because that's the last yes. bit. Cam and I just were like dying. It was so obvious. Yeah, and it just goes to show that it doesn't matter what your budget is. You can make a terrible film or a terrible moment i mean even if the film had been good i think that moment might have ruined pretty much everything for me anyway just noticing it was awful just not seeing like this just seeing this desktop background in a 10,000 bc film it just was so bad and that was it (laughs) that was the movie that's the movie oh god so cam how would you fix it burn it to the ground <laughs> uh i mean i don't i don't for, well, first of all i take out the white savior bullshit yeah there's because a lot of white not only savior. not only does he save the girl he also saves the random tribe he runs into he saves a cat he saves this pre-egypt civilization and then he saves his original tribe he literally it's white savior everything and it's because it's the white, the white girl gets kidnapped so it's all just about the white people. And that's all because a white man in robes in prehistoric Egypt is telling people what to do. It's like all white people. Even though yep. the majority of the film, like 95% of the casting is not. The main characters are. It just, it looks really stupid for the type of film it is. It doesn't make sense. Yep. It It's really dumb. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, I, I don't really know if there's a lot of good ways to fix this one. This is just one of those films where I think it is what it is. My opinion is read your fucking history. Yeah. At least make it a little more historically accurate. Yeah, there's, I mean, like the chili and the corn, those things bother me because that doesn't really make sense. The chili, the corn, the mammoths, and the saber-toothed tiger. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a <laughs> the lot of- The bow and arrow, the metalworking, the sailboats. Yeah. I can live with the metalworking because I still think it's aliens. I can live with the bow and arrow because I still think there's influence with that kind of stuff. The boats, again, aliens. <laughs> I mean, I guess you want to say aliens for everything, but that still doesn't explain the animals and the incorrect No, that, it doesn't explain <laughs> yeah. that. Unless, Unless aliens. Out, aliens took a woolly mammoth and they dropped and basically like seeded that part of that continent with woolly mammoths to then use them later for building the pyramids, but they, they missed their target zone. So they dropped them off a thousand miles away from where they needed them to be. Or they dropped them in the desert originally and they all kept dying of heat stroke. Hey Robert, how would you fix this? 
Um, so I, I obviously agree with you guys on your stuff, as well as the, like, fix the technical stuff, like the horrible backdrops and the yeah. atrocious use of slow motion. One thing that really bothered me was there were too many prophecies in this movie. <laughs> like, have one, or maybe two, like, there's a way you can work where they're competing or something, like, they, they're, they don't say the same thing, whatever. But there are, like, four prophecies in this. At least. That's too many prophecies. Also, don't have the girl die in the end. Or if she does die, don't bring her back to life. Or at least so quickly. Yeah. yeah. Jesus. I feel like this all, this movie also suffers from... This is right around the time when people really realized you could use blue or green screens to really give you anything you wanted, put you anywhere you wanted to be. And I think this movie shows that because they, they use so many different settings that don't make sense. We're in a desert. We are in a jungle. We are in some random kind of forest where he falls into a pit. We're in the high mountains in the snow, we're in the low mountains. We are in Egypt. We are by less than a mile wide Nile. Yeah, I really still don't understand where the jungle is supposed to be. <laughs> I will, um, just to say something nice about the movie, I did like the action scene that took place in the jungle. That actually felt like a real set and there were like kind of some like fun little stunts going on. It's fair. Um, the, the, the horse was obvious, like the horse running was obviously on a path because they're running oh. through a thick jungle and it's like... Clear. Yes. <laughs> so, Allie, yeah. would you recommend this movie? Uh, I would recommend making a drinking game and then you have to take uh, two shots every time a prophecy is read. <laughs> yeah, one shot for historical inaccuracy, two for a prophecy. <laughs> uh, yeah, Cam. Hmm. Can I recommend it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... I, I had fun with some scenes... But when I really think about the film, I mostly was just waiting for it to be over. Honestly, if you're going to watch it, just try and find a compilation of all the action scenes, since that's all this movie is made for in the first place, and just watch those. What about you, Ron? Yeah, that's fair. Um, I, I think I would recommend it, but part of it might be expectations. Because when we were first talking about uh, doing this movie, I was a little against it, because I'm like, oh, no, that just seems like it's going to be boring. It's like a Roland Emmerich action movie. It's just going to be really bland. And there was a lot of things that, like, just shocked me that they would have the audacity to get it so wrong. Um, and if you if you don't want to watch it like that, I, I would recommend it. I'm, I'm actually kind of glad I've seen this movie now. Yeah. None of us were really sure because we, we hadn't seen it, at least in a long time, like, for me. And, like, we were thinking it was going to be boring or maybe it was just going to be, like, a mediocre, like, whatever, not really worth talking about. But it's definitely, it's definitely fucking stupid. It's, yeah. If you really want to watch a poorly done, big-budget film, would recommend. But if, also, maybe with alcohol. If you want to watch a poorly done, big-budget redo of The Ten Commandments with Moses, that's the way you should watch this, then. Because that's also partially what the story is. Which is also... Oh kind of what took me out. Once they got to Egypt, that's all the story was. Okay, was I noticed that. that too. When we were doing the math about going from the Ural Mountains to Cairo, and we kind of worked out that it would be 39 days, I'm pretty sure isn't part of the legend of Moses like 40 days and 40 nights in the desert? They wandered for, yeah. Yep. I think they wandered for 40 days and 40 nights, yeah. So, so I don't know. Something I think there. it probably was 40 days. Holy shit! We did the math, <laughs> and we figured it out. <laughs> well, that's that's the movie. Yeah. Let us know if you've seen it. Let us know what you think about it. Thanks for listening. Thanks Follow for us listening. on Twitter and Facebook. 
give us your reviews. Give us more recommendations for Robert's nicknames. Um, oh, yeah. It's hard to come up with these. <laughs> I've been Allie. I've, I'm always Cameron. That's good. Uh, and I will be Roland. For this time. <laughs> Find out what Robert's name is next time. <laughs> On Attack of the 50-Foot Podcast. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.